Welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. I'm Dennis Weens. I'll be your host, and I'm the Senior Impact Catalyst at Sat7 USA. Sat7 USA is our sponsor today. If you're new to this podcast or new to Sat7, Sat7 is a Middle East and North Africa multi-platform broadcast media ministry making the gospel available to everyone in the Middle East and North Africa. I invite you to learn more at sat7usa.org. That's S-A-T number seven, USA.org. Each week, I invite a guest to join me on my Unconventional Ministry podcast to share their unconventional ministry and innovative approaches. Please remember to subscribe as well as check out the other episodes from a wide variety of guests and a variety of innovative ministry approaches. The country of Iran is in the news a lot, almost every day it seems. How well do you understand what is happening in that country under the control of the Iranian Revolution? At a time when few foreigners were able to observe the impact of the Iranian Revolution, Reverend Tat Stewart, being no stranger to the people of Iran, was given a unique window to see firsthand how the gospel was spreading like wildfire in Iran. And so my guest today is Reverend Tat Stewart. Welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Dennis, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to our conversation. You know, uh, you grew up uh, an American who grew up in Tabriz, Iran, and have become an influential leader and teacher in the Iranian church, I think, globally. If there's an Iranian pastor, they know you or you know them. Uh, and so it's really nice to have you on to help us understand this country of Iran, especially what God is doing in that country. So you grew up in Iran to Christian parents who were working in the medical field. You publish a quarterly magazine called Shaban, which means pastor, uh, to develop and distribute biblical resources for Farsi-speaking leaders worldwide. You pastor an Iranian community a church in Colorado, and I think you're one of the best storytellers I've heard, so it's great to have you on the, the podcast. Well, it's a delight to be here, Dennis, and uh, I just give God glory for how he's used my life. Uh, I'm more surprised than anybody else what God has done in my life. So my first question, how did an American boy growing up in Tabriz, Iran, one day become so influential as a leader and teacher in the Iranian church? Well, if you had asked me anywhere along my life if that would happen, I would have laughed and thought, how could that possibly happen? But growing up in Tabriz, Iran, uh, it's the provincial capital of the province of Azerbaijan, an ancient city that Marco Polo came through and has many uh, ancient buildings and wonderful bazaar. Uh, I became acquainted with the Iranian culture, the Iranian people, and I was a member of the um, local evangelical church. My family went to two services every Sunday, one in Turkish, Azadi Turkish, and one in English. And so by God's providence, I grew up in, in that world. And because I arrived there when I was only less than two years old, my earliest memories and the formation of my personality and character were deeply influenced. I had a mother and father who were godly people. And uh, my mother would pray that, uh, uh, that whatever I did, she didn't care that I would follow Jesus. And I think the answer to that question really is how God got a hold of my life later on in life. When I was 19 years old, I experienced my third collapsed lung. Uh, up to that point, I was kind of a nominal Christian. I mean, I went to church, I believed the Bible, but I really didn't have a 
uh, personal relationship with Christ too much. But I came close to death at the age of 19. And uh, there in a hospital bed in Philadelphia, I met the Lord. I surrendered to him and said, God, whatever you want to do with my life. I really didn't want to go back to Iran because I had no romantic notions about what Iran was. And when I got married, I married a girl that uh, I was born in Iran, and her parents were also missionaries to Iran. And both of us said, you know, it's good. It's good to be in America. But uh, what happened uh, after my first pastorate in New Jersey, we received a letter from the Evangelical Church of Iran, inviting us to come to Iran and pastor, this was before the revolution, pastor St. Christopher's Church in Abadan uh, on the Persian Gulf. And at that moment that letter came, my wife's heart was melted and she said, Tad, this is of God and I'm ready to go. And I always have prayed that I, if, we, if I was ever to go, my wife would feel that call before I did. And so uh, in 19, 79, we arrived in Iran uh, right after the revolution, five months after Ayatollah Khomeini had come to power. The Shah had gone. There was no really current government in place. And we had we had quite an experience there. And to, to get to the basic answer of your question, I would say that seeing what God was doing there, we had a conference that year that I was in Iran where 97 Iranian young people surrendered their lives completely to Jesus Christ. I saw the Holy Spirit moving. And so when we were put out of Iran a few months later and accused of being spies, I became increasingly uh, motivated and passionate about working with Iranians. Uh, but I didn't end back, end back into that ministry until after I had been pastoring an American church for a number of years in Washington, D.C., and then I came across some statistics that melted my heart, and that, and, and that is that there was only one Christian leader for every million Iranian people. And that uh, in, in the English language, uh, there were excessive amount of trained people, but people that could speak and live and work in the Persian world. And so at that point, I left, I left the American ministry and accepted a call to become a missionary full-time to the Iranian world. So that's the short version. Very good. And uh, Tat's just written a book, and the long version is in his book, so I encourage you, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. So you grew up in Iran, and I grew up in West Africa. My folks worked with the church. And so we speak, you know, you speak the Farsi language, but you speak another language as well. And you understand very deeply the culture and the mindset, the worldview of the people of Iran. I think that's that's a fair assessment by because I grew up there, because I sort of had an intense interest in the Iranian people and the culture. I like many Iranian friends growing up. And so I think uh, knowing the language, knowing the culture, having relationships with all these young people that God had touched their hearts in the summer of 1980, and also, of course, God's call upon my life to do that. When God calls, he equips. I didn't feel adequate. Uh, and it's kind of funny, you know, when, when people approached me to, to do programs on, 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 the, on the satellite, even before Sat7 Pars was formed, I said, you, you don't want to put me on a satellite. I'll embarrass Jesus with the way I talk Farsi. And they said, no, no, you didn't, should do it. So it was a step of faith when I started getting on satellite and doing Bible study. And uh, I found that uh, God was using me in ways that was unbelievable. So I 
God just kept calling me and calling me to continue to do leadership, be a part of the founding of Sat7 Pars, which is a 24-hour Persian language ministry for Iranians by Iranians. And uh, that's kind of how it all got started. We want to talk about the church in Iran today, but let's start with what was the church like? Just some maybe uh, bullet points of uh, what the church was like uh, before the revolution. And then we want to talk about what the church is like today. Well, first of all, Christianity is uh, ancient in Iran ever since the, the wise men came back and, and the people at, uh, on the day of Pentecost who were touched by the Holy Spirit, the Jews that went back with the gospel to Iran. But foreign missionaries or American or British missionaries basically uh, entered Iran in the uh, early 1800s, mid-1800s. And the church that, that I was associated with in Iran was founded by the Presbyterian Church, and it was uh, formally established in 1860. So when I was growing up in the, in the, in the church before the revolution, uh, had become quite uh, static, uh, quite traditional, not a whole lot of new converts, not too much going on. And uh, uh, our arguments and disagreements over property and money and all the things that churches do that, that don't actually reflect the gospel. And so it, I don't ever remember seeing an adult baptism uh, in my childhood. To church, uh, young people groups sometimes were a little bit more lively, and I was part of that. But after the revolution, things uh, changed radically. First of all, there was this revival that broke out among our young people. Uh, and they, after I left Iran, they took that revival to their to their churches, where the older pastors, pastors were tired and weary and fearful. These young people began to lead the worship services and began to, to, to preach and teach and want to go to seminary. So we saw the beginnings of the great awakening that has taken place. Uh, those that year we were in Iran, every Sunday or Friday that we would go to church, different people had fled the country. Christians were leaving uh, as soon as and as fast as they could. But interestingly enough, Muslims were lining up at the door to come to church. They'd had dreams of Jesus. They wanted Bibles. And uh, I was amazed at the, at the new interest that was there. And so in these 42 years that have passed, we've seen a growing momentum of this great awakening. Back in 1980, uh, we would have said there are probably about 3,000 Protestant Christians uh, in Iran, and it's no way to measure today whether it's a million or two million. We just don't know because uh, the definition of a Christian uh, is not by church membership anymore. There's no no, no churches. Uh, it is simply by people's faith, and, and many of their faith, many have faith, and they hide it because of fear. Many right. many individuals. I'm in contact with individuals in Iran who've never met another Christian in their own country, but have fellowship with me or have fellowship with other people outside the country. So we're, we're, we're living in amazing times. My, my understanding is that in Iran today, there's no church open where an Iranian citizen can actually attend church. Well, that's not quite true, because if you're Armenian, or if you're an ethnic Christian, like an Armenian or an Assyrian, you could, there are churches that are open in your language. They do not allow Muslim converts to come to those churches. And all Farsi-speaking, uh, the national language churches, or Turkish-speaking, because the church I attended used to speak in Al-Zadi Turkish, those churches are closed. But there are buildings where believers gather. They're, they're Orthodox Christians, usually. They come and they burn their candles and burn incense. Those churches uh, do exist. However, 
the number of Armenians that have left Iran are probably 50% of the population over the time of the revolution have left, and, and 75% of the Assyrians have left Iran. So the, 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 the numbers are pretty slim of those that, that worship in churches, buildings nowadays. So as you think back over these 40 years, and uh, you've been very involved, uh, media has become pretty important. You were part of the early days of the Iranian Christian Broadcasting, ICB, mm-hmm. and then uh, that uh, was taken under the umbrella of Sat7, and uh, the cha- Farsi channel Sat7 PARS was uh, created. What's the value of media and social media in the life of a Christian uh, living their Christian faith in the country of Iran? That's a great question, and it really is uh, has a, it's very important to understand this. And I'll start with just telling a little story, since you said I was a good storyteller. So I was standing in line at Heathrow Airport, having just arrived from the States, waiting to clear customs. And this lady with a scarf on turns around to me and says in Farsi, hello, Pastor Tat. And I look at her like, uh, where did you come from? I don't know who you are. And she, I said, how do you know me? She said, well, I know you. I know all about you because I I watch satellite television all the time. And and then she said something that just kind of kind of impacted me so deeply. She said, "All we have is satellite television," and by that she means is no church, no Christian bookstore, no uh, church that you could attend without it being fearful. And so I think uh, satellite television, and which has mushroomed into a number of Christian channels and so on, is critical. But there's another reason too. Iranian Muslims who might be inquisitive about Christianity could never show that publicly to anybody else. But they can sit at home when no one else is home or by themselves and turn on and watch uh, Christian programming on Sat 7 Pars, which isn't just all preaching. There's a lot of life application. There's prayer. There's devotions. There's social issues. There's women's issues. There's children's programs. And, and the, it's a full array of things, and they can do that privately. And then when they become a Christian, and there's no church to go to, and there's no teaching to receive, they can worship with programs that have uh, that are worship programs, that are teaching programs. And so we're not only a way that people are coming to Christ, but we're a way that people are being sustained in their faith uh, in a very difficult environment. You can be arrested in Iran for having a Bible. Uh, you can be. You would certainly be arrested if you were caught having a house church in your in your home, and so the fear of the government has driven everything underground. But they have not been able to control satellite, so it's really critical. And Sat Seven Pars channel, the Farsi language channel on Sat Seven, is on an Iranian-owned satellite, Yasat, which is uh, the most viewed satellite over Iran, Afghanistan, and Tajikistan. And then, in addition to satellite, now is social media platforms, digital, Sat7's launched its app. It's streaming all the content off four satellite TV channels live on any browser worldwide. It's yep. free in the App Store. So that gives an added uh, reach of the, the channel and the content. And I know you, you yourself were saying on Instagram, you do a live show uh, in Farsi for Iranians to ask questions. And so social media has become so important. Yes, uh all, every time I preach a Persian language sermon here in in, uh, in my hometown, uh, I post it and uh, it, it goes on uh, Telegram and WhatsApp and other means, and people are listening to it. Uh, Iranians are listening to it all over the world because it's just 
it's just audio. It's very easy to get on their phones. And uh, But also, yes, I, I do Instagram weekly, and I do a monthly program live on Sat7 Parse, uh, taking questions and taking needs for prayer, but also bringing some teaching from God's Word. And so you've taken your many decades of ministry in Iran and ministry with Iranians in the diaspora around the world, and you've written about this in a book, No Stranger to Iran, Its People and Its Church. And so tell us about uh, the motivation to write that book okay. and a little bit about how people can get their hands on it. And the prayer request is this book is going to be translated into Farsi yes. uh, for distribution in Iran as well. So talk to us about the motivation for that book. I have a learning disability, and when I was growing up, uh, most of my advisors basically said, Tad, I think you'd make a good plumber, maybe a carpenter. And uh, and so I had very low aspirations for my life. But when I gave my life to Christ, uh, God did so many things, greater and more than I could ever imagine. So I wanted to inspire young people and other people to to not let the world define who you are, but let Christ define who you are. Also, I wanted to give the insights that I had learned from the Persian culture and living in the Middle East to perhaps the next generation of workers and missionaries that will be going around the world. You see, when my parents went to Iran, there were the veteran missionaries that were there. They had a couple of years of mentoring with the people that actually lived there. There have been no Americans or, or British or European missionaries in Iran for over 43 years. And so there are people that are, are God is raising up to work with Iranians, and they can learn a lot about how to witness, how God worked and uh, is working among Iranians. And that was part of it. And the last motivation, you know, throughout the history of missions in Iran, missionaries have written journals and books about their time. But over the last uh, last hundred years, uh, Dr. Miller wrote a book about his life. He had been there for 40 years. There's very little literature written by Westerners of their experience in the church and growing up in Iran or living in Iran. Several Iranian leaders have complimented me for doing that. They said there was a gap in, in literature on this section. And, and you know, there were very, as you, in the introduction, there were very few Westerners in Iran the first year after the revolution. And the things that I saw walking the streets of Tehran and sitting with the church leaders uh, there weren't many Westerners that experienced that. And so I wanted to to put that in paper as an inspiration and also to fill in sort of some historic things that took place during that time. So you can get a copy of this book, uh, No Stranger to Iran, Its People and Its Church by Reverend Tat Stewart, and that's available on Amazon. Uh, you're also creating content for Iranian church leaders. Uh, tell us a little bit about that as we wrap up our time together. Well, um, in the beginning, uh, what we always realized that the, the church was growing rapidly, but but because it was growing rapidly, we didn't have enough leaders to lead, uh, and therefore we were having many young men and women leading with very little theological background, very little church history background, and so uh, in 2000, uh, we initiated a, a magazine called Shaban, which is the word for pastor, and it was practice. It wasn't a, a high academic journal. It was a practical journal, how to perform a marriage, uh, how to help people experience the gospel, how to, how to, what, what is biblical forgiveness? What is a biblical way of raising children? It was all just practical theology. This uh, magazine, in those days, we mailed it out. And uh, I mailed it out free to anybody who was in ministry. 
And so my address list grew to three or 400 people around the world who wanted this magazine. And then eventually we made it uh, digital because the cost of postage was just out of sight. Uh, and so this has, uh, this has been one way that I think we've helped equip this movement. Uh, awaken, great awakenings are wonderful. They don't last forever. And the most important thing during the Great Awakening, which we learned from Jonathan Edwards himself, is that we need to teach believers and leaders to go deeper into God's word, into theology, so they can, they're the ones that will be sustaining the church in the future when this great tsunami of, of people coming to Christ kind of subsides. So thank you, Reverend Tad Stewart, for sharing this with us. You can get a copy of his book on Amazon. I'll put notes in the podcast uh, description notes as well, some resources. If you know an Iranian, share some of these resources with them. Uh, they'd appreciate it and read a little about the history of their own country. So, Tat, thank you for joining me on the Unconventional Ministry podcast. Thank you for having me, Dennis. I really appreciate it. It's been a good time with you. In our changing world, there are more ways than ever to do ministry. SAT7, as a broadcast media ministry, is changing how ministry is done. Through innovative approaches, collaborative efforts, broadcast satellite television, web streaming, and social media, SAT7 is making a difference. Visit SAT7 online today at sat7usa.org to learn ways you can be a part of this kingdom work. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. If you know of an unconventional ministry approach, please introduce us. We'd like to have them on as guests. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Mm-hmm.